Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Good morning. Okay, are you ready? Jesus Christ is risen. What's the matter with this pastor? Wrong holiday. No. You tend the truth about what the significance of the coming of Jesus to us is. And tend it in your own heart. And tend it in your children. And tend it with one another. I love pretty lights. I like decorations. I love fudge. But Jesus Christ came so that he could die. And he died so that he could be raised from the dead after paying for our sins so that we could be raised from the dead. So don't lose track of that. This is why the shepherds got what they got. This is why we're having this sermon this morning, right? It's just one package. Keep it in mind as you go through your your day, as you go through your week, as you go through your lives. Keep this in mind constantly. So our text this morning is Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. And we use the King James Version at Christmas time with the Luke 2 passage because that's what we memorize and it has such beauty in it and uh, we enjoy it. We teach our children from the King James because it's more poetic and we're, and it's just a historically what? It's the thing, isn't it? It really is the thing. So listen to the word of the Lord. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we have the shepherds as those to whom God has given this message first. They were the ones who 
uh, we're told about the birth of Christ first. After his birth, the announcement came to shepherds. And I think that shepherds were uh, chosen by God for, for a lot of reasons. The Bible doesn't say specifically, but I think we can think about many reasons why he would have chosen the shepherds for this task, right? First of all, they were of the humbler sort. I mean, we think about uh, shepherds today. Well, I was thinking about uh, uh, castes and uh, uh, social structure and organization. I, I remember talking with somebody from Germany, and they were talking about how in Germany, blue collar and white collar aren't such big deals. In Germany, if you're a plumber or if you're a cardiologist, people look at you and they say, oh, you're a plumber, oh, you're a cardiologist, and they don't really elevate one super above another. You can go into one kind of vocation that we would consider very blue collar and another that we would consider white collar, and you would be seen with the same kind of respect, and it just mattered that you were good at your trade and that you worked hard, right? In America, it's not so much that way. We look at people and we look at blue collar and white collar and we have very definite opinions about their abilities. And we look at people who have connection to the earth that way even more so. I remember when I was pastoring up in Toledo, we were at some friend's house and we were playing a, a game, some kind of board game that had to do with words and understanding words and definitions and meaning, right? And we got through the game and, and I won. And it's not because I'm super at words or definitions, but I did happen to win. I guess everyone else there was really stupid. I don't know. I won. And so the, the woman there who was the host at the house, she, she just had this funny look on her face and she said, how did you win? She said, you grew up on a farm. And that's the reality about how we think about things, right? We look at, we look at things and, and God came and he said, okay, the people who are going to hear first are the shepherds. Those of the lower sort, those who, who deal with things and who deal with life uh, at, at, uh, at the ground, right? Uh, John Calvin says of this decision that God brings it to the shepherds, he says it would have been to no purpose that Christ was born in Bethlehem if it had not been made known unto the world. But the method of doing so, which is described by Luke, appears to the view of men very unsuitable. Christ is revealed but to a few witnesses, and that too amidst the darkness of night. Again, though God had at his command many honorable and distinguished witnesses, he passed by them and chose shepherds, persons of humble rank and of no account among men. If then we desire to come to Christ, let us not be ashamed to follow those whom the Lord, in order to cast down the pride of the world, has taken from among the dung of cattle to be our instructors. Okay, so God... Calvin's observation is it's shepherds so that we'll all get our, we'll all get, uh, 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 what's the word? Clarified, uh, modulated, correctly positioned in, in, in the reality to what is happening, who we are. We're all put in our place. 
by the fact that God starts by giving this to shepherds. They become the first evangelists, right? There's an organic and direct no-nonsense nature about people who live their lives interacting with dirt and animals. Now, I'm not saying that all farm people are like that, but the reality is there's something very basic about people who live their lives interacting that way because they see things in very uh, uh, primary kinds of ways. They really do depend on God, and it was more a sense back before there was every kind of uh, ensuring provision from the government or wherever, but if you grew up on a farm and you depended upon the living of the farm to sustain you, you were praying to God that your crop would germinate and that rain would fall and that it would grow and that there would be a harvest. And that at Thanksgiving, you could be thankful for this, right? You were connected to it in a very, very specific way. And so were the shepherds. Direct. Organic, the 80s word, right? Also, God identifies his people as being sheep. In the Old Testament, as Moses was about to be, uh, his, as, about, as he was about to lay down the mantle of leadership of Israel, and as he was about to die, as Aaron had died, he was about to die, and he was, uh, God was telling him, you're going to die, somebody else needs to take leadership. Uh, Moses says to God, let the, let the Lord, the God of all spirits, of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. He wasn't saying that they be not as sheep because they were going to be as sheep. He was saying that they be not as sheep who have no shepherd. Somebody to lead them out, somebody to bring them in. And so in the Old Testament, way back then, God's people were seen as sheep. In the New Testament, Jesus in Matthew 9, he went into the villages teaching and, and preaching and healing people. And when he saw the multitudes, it says he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. It was horrible. And Jesus saw them and was concerned about them. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we're told that we were as sheep going astray but now we have turned to the shepherd and bishop of our souls, which is another point of the reality of the shepherd because God identifies himself as the shepherd. Not that just we're sheep and not that Moses just said we needed uh, Joshua to, to follow him, but that God himself identifies himself as the shepherd. And Psalm 23 starts with, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And Jesus would openly declare that he was the shepherd. In John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. In, her, in Hebrews 13, we have a doxology that we often hear. Now the God of peace that brought up again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. So the shepherds were there, and the angels came. 
They were there keeping watch over the flock. They were in a constant vigil, feeling the weight of their responsibility. And this is harder for us to understand today because, you know, I don't know, anybody here uh, stay up at night outdoors watching anything to keep it safe? Anybody? Probably not. I mean, there may be somebody, maybe you have at some point or another, maybe you stayed up all night to smoke a brisket. Right? And that's about the extent of our understanding of this in many regards. That's about the way we understand it. No, no, no. Imagine that you have 10 nice, crisp $100 bills. Right? Uh, and you take those down and you put them on, uh, on the sidewalk in front of People's Park at Kirkwood and lay a little stone on each one so the wind doesn't blow it away. And then you just spend the night there. Now, mind you, you want, those, you want that $1,000 for yourself, but you know, it needs to be tended because if, if, if that $1,000 just sits there all night, do you think that $1,000 will just sit there all night? The shepherds had their property, their, their wealth in living creatures that were under a constant assault by predators. And they had to be vigilant to watch. They had to keep watch over their sheep. They had to watch over them. Now your pastors and elders keep watch over you. We watch over you. And we try to plead with God to make us faithful. You should plead with God to make us faithful. And you say, I don't like it when you keep watch over me because you're trying to warn me about something and I don't feel like I'm in trouble. You're just bothering me. No. We feel responsibility for you. <coughs> Excuse me. And we're keeping watch over you. And you should pray that we will be more faithful to keep watch over you. Because the more faithful we are at keeping watch over you, the more you're going to be bothered by us. And the safer you're going to be. The more care you will have. So you need to pray for that. But that was the shepherds. They were keeping watch over the sheep. And they were, and they were uh, vigilant to watch them against the, the predators. Now they did this at night. <clears throat> they didn't do it just at night, but this happened to be at night. When I was uh, in high school, did anybody here ever go coon hunting? Fewer than in the first service. So we have fewer hunters of raccoons in this service than we had in the first service. That might be saying something, I don't know, demographically. So when I was in high school, I would go coon hunting, but very rarely because I was not the big hunter, okay? But I went one time, I remember, with my friend Jim Jameson, one of our neighbors, and we were out in the woods in the dark. We had a couple flashlights, but... Uh, and some guns. It's a wonder that we didn't shoot ourselves. But um, we were out coon hunting. And uh, that, that night was dark, and we were in an unknown woods. You know, you're stumbling around in a place you don't know. There are rivers, and there are like muck pits and all kinds of things out there where, where we were walking about, right? And suddenly, all of these... Uh, shooting stars, meteors, 
And I'm like freaking out. Well, it's November, and I didn't know about the Leonids at the time, right? I was just learning about the Leonids. We didn't stay up all night to watch the Leonids when I grew up because we had to do chores in the morning. But we're up hunting raccoons, and there's the Leonids. And I'm thinking, the world's coming to an end. I got to get home. But imagine you're out at night, and you're the shepherds, and maybe they had... uh, uh, a fire going to keep them warm. Maybe they had uh, to cook some food on. Maybe they had a fire going. But other than that, there wasn't light around them. There wasn't street lights every 15 feet. There wasn't a nice uh, LED uh, porch light, you know, going on anywhere. It was dark, dark. It was night. And what happens? The angel of the Lord comes upon them. Now it just calls him the angel of the Lord. We don't know a name. Sometimes in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord is understood to represent a Christophany, a, 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 uh, a visit by Jesus in, in a form that he can talk and inter- interact with people and it's sometimes he's called the angel of the Lord in those times, Right? But this isn't one of those times because he's actually announcing the incarnation, right? So this is a different, the angel of the Lord. And he comes upon them. And it says that the glory of the Lord shone round about them. In the Old Testament, the word for glory is kavod, which just means heavy. And it is like a way to describe the primary... Uh, manifestation of God of himself. It's just a heaviness, a, a weightiness. Have, have you all heard of a short story called The Light Princess? Anybody heard that? George MacDonald wrote it a long time ago. It's probably my favorite short story. You need to read it and, and uh, glean from it the, the moral. But read it to your children. It is a delightful, delightful story. But it is about this concept of glory, but it's really the concept of glory as it relates to gravity, sobriety. And that certainly is included in the idea of glory. And so we have suddenly the heaviness, the weight of God. It carries with it the consequence, the significance of his person. Suddenly the angel of the Lord comes and the glory of the Lord is present. The weight the consequence of who God is, is present. In the New Testament, the word for glory is doxa, which is where we get doxology. And it is our lifting to God what he deserves from us, right? And so Psalm 71, 14 says, but as for me, I will hope continually and, and will praise you yet more and more. It is the, the promise of a believer toward God, a child of God toward God saying, more and more and more, I will hope in you. I'll never stop hoping in you because you never stop giving me hope. He is our God. He is the God. And so his glory shone to the shepherds. It shone around them. And the text says then, the archaic phrase, and they were 
sore afraid. And we know what it means by how it's placed in the, in the narrative, but you might not have ever gone to look up the old meaning of sore because it's, it's, a, it's a describer, it's, it's telling, it's an adjective, it's telling the kind of afraid they were. And so they're sore afraid. And so you might be sore tired or sore hungry, right? So what is the sore there? What is the sore? Well, the Greek word is, is uh, mega. Right? And the word for afraid is phobia. Megaphobia. They were really afraid. Right? Not just because of the angel. The angel himself was formidable. But the angel came surrounded by, bringing with him the very weight of the glory of God. And it, it should remind us about Moses in the Old Testament. Remember what happened with Moses in the Old Testament? He would go and he would be with God and he would commune with God and then he would come back and he would be with the people of Israel. And so what happened when he would get back? What would the people see when he came back? It says that his skin would shine with the glory of God. He was affected physically. They could see light because he had been with God. And it would slowly fade, but he would kind of you know, cover himself up. It, it, would, it would go away. Then he would go back and be with God and he would shine again, right? And then he would, it would fade away. And so this is what, this isn't a foreign concept. The angel came and he brought that glory with him. And they were, they were terrified. Creation belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's. All power is the Lord's. All authority is the Lord's. To a creature... God is all terror and wonder. He is the other. There's only two. There's the creature and the other. Or I may say it the other way. There is God and there's everything else. Because he made everything else. Creature, created. He made everything else. And these men were suddenly the weight of, of the other. The weight of God Almighty was present in his glory around his angelic messenger. And it was terrifying. It was terrifying for them. So the angel speaks to them. As often happens in the scripture when an angel appears, he has to calm the people down. And listen, other times when the angel appears, it doesn't say the glory of the Lord shines round, shone round about them. I'm not saying that they didn't have the evidence of having been in the presence of God on them. I'm just saying it doesn't say it in other places. And so it's very specific in this place that in, in some way, in some 
wonderful, powerful way, God's glory was there. But all the times the angels appear to people in the Bible, it's like they, they're afraid. They fall on the ground. They, they're like, you know, they faint as if dead. I mean, they're literally just scared. And these men are scared. And the angel says, okay, as in the other places in the scripture, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And this angel says, don't be afraid. For I bring you good tidings of great joy for everyone. Good tidings of great joy. We sang, God rest you merry gentlemen. Where does the comma go? Do you guys remember? God rest you merry gentlemen. Where does the comma go? After Mary. Because it's not God rest you, God rest you merry gentlemen as if they've already been deep in their cups and drank a lot, right? It is, God, God bless you, Mary, gentlemen, which is an archaic way of saying, God, make you glad because of the tidings of comfort and joy. God, make you merry. God bless you to be merry, gentlemen. And the angel was coming to them and he was saying, I have good tidings of great joy. God bless you, Mary, for you and for everybody. I have great tidings, good tidings of great joy. The Savior Christ is born. The Savior Christ is born. The light has come to shine in the darkness. And maybe this is why the announcement came in the dead of night. If you think about the dead of night, it really does symbolize our hearts, doesn't it? I mean, if you, could, if you could go inside of the wickedness of your heart and be confined to its darkness, wouldn't you be more terrified than out in the middle of a dark night? Because our hearts are wicked and they're sinful. And so here the angel comes and the men are terrified, but it's at a time of darkness and he's saying the light has come into the world and Jesus hasn't simply come to bring uh, illumination to the, to the region and the community and streetlights. No, no, that's not why he's come. Although the scripture says, in the eternal place, the city of God, there's not going to be any need for a son because God and the son, God and the Christ, God and the lamb will be its light. But somehow it's all, it's, all turned up, it's all turned up into the reality of the eternal state, right? But it's a beautiful thing to think about. But no, in the darkness, the angel comes and says, the Christ is born. The light has come into the darkness. And it is an evangelistic message. These, these shepherds hear an evangelistic message. Uh, some of you were in the book study with Pastor Killingsworth and myself, and we were studying Ken Hughes' book, uh, Disciplines of a Godly Man, right? And one of them was talking about sharing our faith and evangelism. And we were talking about all the different kinds of evangelism. So we talked about, uh, let's see, we talked about uh, friendship evangelism and servant evangelism and door-to-door -door evangelism, which I forget somebody said drive-by or something that that was that kind, right? We talked about uh, crusade evangelism and street evangelism and power evangelism. But this was one of the few instances 
of angelic evangelism. An angel from God actually came and said the message, right? And so he comes, he says, Christ is born. Christ is born. The Savior has come. And this will be a sign to you. Now this is where I got to be, okay, wait a minute. Because I'm going to, you know what the next thing is, what the sign is going to be. But I thought, what, wait a minute. Okay, so the men are out and it's in the dead of night. And suddenly the angel of the Lord appears to them. And the glory of the Lord shones right about them. They are scared and terrified out of their wits. And the angel says, this will be a sign to you. And you're thinking, there's going to be something bigger than this? Because this is how we think, right? We think, it's going to be bigger than this? Whoa! And what does he say? You'll find the baby wrapped up in cloths, laying in a manger. Now you might say, yeah, that's unusual. You know, but it's not really unusual to find a baby even one wrapped up in cloths, even cloths that aren't really necessarily baby cloths or baby blankets, you know. At my house, you can find a baby laying here or there anytime, <laughs> right? There's babies just, there's a baby propped up against the wall. There's babies all over the place. So having a baby or having a baby wrapped up or having a baby wrapped up in some kind of makeshift bed isn't really that spectacular for us. It's not like the shepherd, it's not like a, an angel coming down and the glory of the Lord shining right? And so I'm thinking about this because clearly that's what the angel says. The angel says, this is the sign. This is the sign. You will find the baby in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. What's it about? Well, I got some help from John Calvin again for this. This John Calvin is a theologian from uh, hundreds of years ago you're wondering who he is. He says, this method of proceeding, which might appear to the view of men absurd and almost ridiculous, the Lord pursues toward us every day. Sending down to us from heaven the word of the gospel, he enjoins us to embrace Christ crucified and holds out to us signs in earthly and fading elements, which raise us to the glory of a blessed immortality. Having promised to us spiritual righteousness, he places before our eyes a little water. Okay, so baptism, right? This is what he's talking about, baptism. He places before us a little water. Uh, Some of you might remember when you first came to church or when somebody first told you about Jesus and then at a certain point, you actually said, I believe. God does a work in your heart and you say, I believe that, I, I believe. I believe that Messiah that came and was born, I believe he came for me. And so you might start coming to church or you might be at church and you might have believed while you were hearing people preaching about the Messiah. And you're sitting there in, in your chair and you didn't have any history in Christianity before. And so you're coming one Sunday and you over here to the side, that was good, over here to the side, there's a, 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 a cow tank. You following me? And you're looking at it and there's water in it and you think to yourself, are they going to have a, a, a crab boil after the service? Why is there a water tank over here? 
And so you look at it, and then pretty soon you, you find out that there are people, and that they're going to come up, and maybe it's not the water tank. Maybe they're going to get sprinkled on as a baby, and they're putting water on the baby's head. Or they're pouring water over somebody. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, what is this? It's a sign. It's something that God gives us that has incredible significance that he points us to. It's not an angel. It's not the glory of the Lord shining. But it is something in which we find incredible significance from the Lord that attaches us to a blessed immortality. And so he brings it to us with a little water, uh, Calvin says, or by a small portion of bread and wine. He seals the eternal life of the soul. But if the stable gave no offense whatever to the shepherds, so as to prevent them from going to Christ to obtain salvation, they didn't think of it as an anticlimax to the, to the angel coming. Do you follow? It did not prevent them from going to Christ for, to obtain salvation or from yielding to his authority while he was yet a child. No sign, however mean in itself, common, ought to hide his glory from our view or prevent us from offering to him lowly adoration now that he has ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. Okay? So we have the sign, and it's a big one. You won't just find a baby. You will find the baby. Okay? It's a big one. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And I always think of this in terms of what's unfolding at that moment. Because at the moment of the incarnation, you have, and, and the birth of Christ, you suddenly have this place where uh, the beginning of 33 years of his life and incarnate life on earth, right? You suddenly have that, that beginning. And it's as if, uh, it's not that angels don't do things in a lot of other places, but it's as if, uh, there needed to be some kind of special, uh, extra special something with the multitude of the heavenly host. Because really, that baby laying in that manger, in that manger who was he? He was the commander of the heavenly host. And suddenly, the heavenly host had to say, God rest ye Mary. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Not having fallen themselves, they have, they have the, uh, the reality of not fully comprehending what we comprehend about Christ and what he did. And so they like to look at it, and they certainly know who he is, Right? But, and they understand the reality of the message they bring and their work on our, on our behalf, and they, and they serve us before God. The scripture says we have angels that, that go and serve us before God, right? That are our special angels. 
But, they, but there's a point that they just, they can't, they can't quite understand because they aren't us. And we understand. And those shepherds who were terrified in the darkness that night, they understood. They had a real taste of the coming of the light that would save them. That the angel really didn't understand, though he knows God, right? Not from their perspective. He did not understand it. And so the heavenly host assembles and they say, Glory to God in the highest. Our commander, who at the moment of his arrest could have just summoned us. Our commander, who is more valuable than all of creation. Our commander, whom it pleased God to present to you in this form to do his work of obedience to the Father, purchasing your salvation. Our commander, he's born. He is the sign. There he is in the manger. I'm not going to talk about Mary pondering. I know Mary pondered these things and it's important, but I'm going to, I'm going to skip over that right now, uh, this morning. But I want to talk about the, the last three things that, that it says about the shepherds. Because this is the point, I think, of application for us. You have the reality of the shepherds uh, at the moment of the, of the evangelistic message given to them. And I think we all need to, f- to basically feel this in ourselves and examine this in ourselves because it's, it's very typical to our own lives, or should be. And it's very typical to how we uh, constantly, uh, basically a refrain, this is the chorus of our lives, is what goes on in the rest of the chapter. It's the chorus, it's the refrain. We just keep repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating. And it says first that, they, 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 remember they, they came with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. They were compelled to go see. I don't know if they left the sheep. I don't know if somebody stayed with the sheep. I don't know how they made that decision. It doesn't say and it's not important. But I do know that they came with haste. That means they came fast. They wanted to see right now. Let's go see right now. And it reminds me of the woman who comes after meeting Jesus at the well, the woman at the well, and after she goes into her town, she tells everybody, and they went to the well. They went to see. And then when they went to the well, they saw Jesus themselves, and they said, now we believe, not because you told us, because we saw him ourselves, right? Well, the shepherds went quickly. And the fact is that if you have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, probably inside of you, something's triggered, and you're saying to yourself, I have to know this. I, have, I am in the dark. You're telling me that there is, there is a light that would shine in my heart that's so dark and wicked that I could have deliverance from the condemnation that I feel every day when I wake up. I just think, oh, I'm alive again today to live with me. Okay? And so they went with haste because the Savior was born and they knew there was a Savior coming. That had long been promised. And as a group, they went. 
And next, it says that when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. They became eager evangelists. They started going like the woman from the well and telling people what the angels had said and what they had found in Bethlehem. Whoa, the Christ is born. There is a light for my dark black heart. And so they went and started telling other people. And that might have been your experience. You might have come to faith in Christ and you were very excited. And then you started telling your friend, hey, uh, anybody here named Gene? Hey, Gene. I'm sorry if your name is Gene. Just picking a name, that's my mother's name. Hey, Gene, you know how, we, how we've been smoking pot together for years and years and how we've been, and, and, you know, and you know my life and how mess my life was. You've looked at me and said, my li- your life's a mess. And you know, Gene, I think your life's kind of a mess too. Let me tell you something. I found a light for my dark heart. Let me tell you about Jesus. And in, and in a stumbling way, Jean hears a story, just like the woman at the well. You, can't, you can imagine the woman at the well having gone through evangelism training, right? And she's like, okay, how does the acrostic go? What's the next thing? You know? Now, evangelism should come right out of our hearts, just gushing out of us. But remember, it's a chorus, it's a refrain. Has evangelism stopped gushing out of your heart? You follow me? It's a refrain. What happened next? It said then that they went. After they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying that was told them. And then they returned glorifying and praising God. They became worshipers of God. They became worshipers of God. You heard the message of Jesus Christ for your black heart. You started telling Gene about it. Gene. And then you, and all of these things, it says they. They heard and went quickly. They told everybody. They glorified and praised God. What happens then is you get together with the church and you become part of the they and you just start glorifying, praising God with the church. And it becomes the refrain. And on Sunday mornings we come in here and we do this weekly and we do it in small group. And sometimes we just do it, a couple of us together, and we just say, we start glorifying and praising God. Because we're with somebody else who glorifies and praises God and understands the, the light shining in our dark hearts. And it becomes the refrain, it becomes the refrain, it becomes the refrain. It becomes the the message of our lives. We've been told, we have received in ourselves, we live and tell others, we glorify God and praise Him. And so, I want to tell you, if if you've kind of fallen out of the refrain today, so for instance, you know, if you go canoeing and you've ever gone canoeing and there's a place where the current carries you and there's a place where it gets off and out of the current. Everybody familiar with that with a canoe? There's a current and there's a knot current. And the knot current is not where you want to be. That's the stagnant spot. 
and the current is where you want to be. Well, listen, if, if we are together, the they, like the shepherds, and we're in this refrain, we're in this chorus, repeating again and again the mercies of God in our lives. That's what we do on Sunday morning. We look around. I look around sometimes on Sunday morning. You can look around. It's okay. I look around on Sunday morning, I look at other people, and I just think, man, they're bad. I'm glad I'm not like them. No! I look around and say, wow! A light in a dark heart. Wow! A light in a dark heart. Wow! And if you've had a light in your dark heart, you're looking around and you're saying, wow! And all the while, you're also participating in the glorifying and praising God. Right? Except if you've fallen out of the current. If you've fallen out of the current, there's a problem. And the problem is not your husband, your wife, that guy, that person, what they did to me, what this was, what that was, what the other thing was. Because listen, if that's what you say, I'm telling you, you got it wrong. You're deceived. You're self-deceived. If you're bitter about something that somebody else did to you, you have forgotten that you have been cleansed from your past sins. And that there is only one refrain that we sing here together, and that is, I've been cleansed from my past sins. You too? Yeah, all right. Husband, wife, all right, I've been cleansed from my past sins. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I've been cleansed from my past sins. There isn't room for bitterness in that heart. But if you've fallen out of the current, go to somebody and say, that's death. That is death. Go to somebody. Confess your sin. It isn't their fault. Somebody can sin against you. I sin against people. My wife knows I sin against my wife. If she falls out of the current, it's still her fault. Because she's heard the message and she's seen the light of God and she knows his cleansing of her from her own sin. Do you follow me? If I fall out of the current, I want to blame my wife. No, it's still my fault. That doesn't mean we don't have to keep accounts with each other and ask for forgiveness and all those kinds of things are realities. But bitterness has no place in our hearts. It can't. It's death. And Jesus Christ is life. He is life. Okay? And so this morning, this shall be a sign unto you. Good tidings of great joy. Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Thanks be to God. And if you need to go and talk to somebody, talk to one of the pastors, talk to a, a person that you sometimes will confide in and ask them to pray with you to help you to confess your sin and to be rid of your bitterness, do it. Just do it. Get back in the current. It's where you need to be. That's where life is. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your kindness to us in giving to us Jesus Christ, we didn't deserve Christ. We deserved, we deserved the crucifixion and the, the judgment that he took on our behalf. 
But oh, Father, rather than damning us, you have loved us with your Son. And your light has shined in the darkness. Thank you. Make us to be happy singers of the chorus together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.